A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You're listening to Blue Jays Nation Radio with Cam Lewis and Tyler Uremchuk, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts. Episode 159 of Blue Jays Nation Radio, a sweep edition of Blue Jays Nation Radio. Uremchuk, Coomsey, Coomsey. It feels like forever since we've had a sweep edition of the podcast, even though it's only been a month. It does. And I mean, it's interesting. The Blue Jays just swept their season series with the Chicago White Sox, six games, one, zero games lost. And they're staring down the barrel of perhaps getting swept by the Boston Red Sox in the entire season series. So it's kind of like, you know, White Sox, you can beat the wheels off of them. Let's hope they don't turn things around next season and beat the wheels off of the Jays, like how the Red Sox have like reversed their fortunes here. I kind of worry about that now because of like how badly the Jays beat Boston last year and how like intense they came into this year. I'm worried that's going to happen next year with the White Sox, though they suck so much. It's We're probably fine. Yeah, I was going to say, I actually, I'm not sure if I have those same kind of concerns. No, they're terrible. The White Sox just seem generally bad. Um, that bad. being said, those were three very close ball games. And I guess yeah. before we get into three up, three down, I guess my overarching thing is there have been a lot of episodes where we sit here and we talk about hitting with runners in scoring position and not getting clutch hits, not getting clutch outs. They got all of that and then even more than you could ask for in this series against the White Sox. Yeah, it was definitely a much closer series than you would have liked. Back in April when the White Sox came to Toronto, the Blue Jays beat the wheels off of them. They outscored them. I think it was like 20 to 3 or 20 to 4, maybe even 20 to 2. It just wasn't even close. But these games here, I mean, like the whole thing was tight. They win 4 to 3 in the opener on Tuesday. Then, of course, the Wednesday game gets rained out. They play the doubleheader on Thursday. That first game was 0-0 all the way up. And then finally, they blow up with a bunch of runs, win the game 6-2. But it wasn't really a 6-2 game. Nope. And then the, the the finale there, the third one, the nightcap, the doubleheader, they went 5-4. So White Sox aren't a great team. The Jays edged them out. There was quite a few things to like about that series. But to be totally honest, and this is going to be a good vibes podcast, so I'll get my one negative thing out. It would have been nice if the Jays just beat the wheels off of the White Sox again, right? Like it, it felt way, way, way too tight. Like it, it doesn't feel like they came in there and just like swept them away. It feels kind of like, whew, it, 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 it almost doesn't feel like they completed a sweep. You know what I mean? Yeah, that that's a good point. I think having the two games on one day as well kind of made yeah. it feel a little bit different because that was a lot of baseball to watch in one day. But like you said, it's a good vibes only edition of the podcast. So let's jump into three up, three down. Nothing. There's no downs. That was just no. a good series from the Jays. They pick up three wins as they inch closer to the all-star break. So let's go through what we liked. And in game one, I'm starting with the big man himself, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, again, we talked about a lot of conversations throughout the year that we've had, Cam, of, man, they can't get clutch hits. They they never come through when you need them. Vladdy was kind of at the center of all that. He finally came through in a monster moment. And it, simply put, they don't sweep the White Sox if it's not for that two-run shot in the seventh inning or in the eighth inning of game one. Yeah, it looked it really looked like things could have gotten off to a bad start here. And bear in mind, a few days ago, the Jays, of course, were coming off of that Canada Day weekend sweep to Boston. And you know, things weren't looking great. The bats were really quiet against the White Sox in that first game, but Vladdy comes in with that huge clutch home run. And you said, like, you kind of emphasize finally comes through, and it really is the case because um James G pointed this out on Twitter. It was Vladdy's first come from behind go ahead home run. So a situation in which the Jays are behind and the home run puts them in front that came later than the seventh inning okay. since that home run he hit off of Zach Britton against the New York Yankees in 2019. So four years ago. 
Yeah. You, like I, I think you might remember that home run. It was a pretty big one. Like one of the first really huge ones of Vladdy's career where you're like, wow, what a huge home run off a really good pitcher. Like we're going to be seeing this all the time. And then we just haven't. It's uh, it's, it's interesting. We, we all know about Vladdy's issues with hitting for power, the launch angle, this and that. Seems like he's figured something out as of late because the home run stroke is coming back and the Jays badly need that. If, if, if this offense is going to be above average or great or elite, the, it starts with Vladdy in the middle of the lineup. How about the fact that Vladimir Guerrero Jr., he drove in a run in every game in this series and he had two multi RBI games in this series in games one and three, a very good series from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, for the second up, Coombsy, let's go with the starting pitchers. Uh, Chris Bassett quality start i mean the only guy who really hit him hard was well one of the hottest hitters in all of baseball Luis robert who i mean he's on an unbelievable run as of late it feels like every second time he's coming to the plate he is hitting a ball like 100 miles per hour or harder uh, but he gets to bassett other than that he really doesn't give up too much to the white Sox. and then there's jose barrios who was just absolutely spectacular if you want to give vladdy sort of the mvp award for game one of that series Barrios, even though they eventually got six runs in the 11th, Barrios is the only reason that game made it to the 10th, never mind the 11th. He was exceptional. Yeah, on the other side of that, this this was a shocking one because you come into the first game of the doubleheader and the White Sox are sending out Lance Lynn, who we talked about on the last podcast when we previewed the series. He got DFA'd this year. His ERA was above seven coming into that game. And he goes seven innings, only allows one hit, one walk, strikes at 11. It was like a shocking result. Yeah. Um, but Barrios was really up to the task there. He goes seven innings, also only one hit, also only one walk and strikes out six. I mean, I, I feel like I've said this quite a few times where I've said, Oh, that was Jose Barrios's best start since, you know, 2021 when they acquired him down the stretch. He was great. I feel like I've said that a lot of times this year. It's, um, it's really something what we're seeing for Barrios because, you know, a, a lot of the praise we've given him was, you know, every start's kind of just your six inning, two, three earned runs, quality start, not a master class, but a good start, like a number two, three starter kind of thing. And then this one against the White Sox, bear in mind, the White Sox don't have much of a lineup, but. That's a gem, only allowing one hit and one walk. Like there are still some good hitters in Chicago's lineup, even though they're a bad team. Jose Barrios is he's pitching the best that perhaps we've ever seen him pitch as a Blue Jay. And he got through seven innings on just 90 or 89 pitches as well. Like he was working efficiently. Like there's a, there are a handful of Jose Barrios starts where he gets through it with his strikeout pitches, right? And he's getting guys late in counts and the pitch count kind of creeps up a little bit quicker. Like, if it wasn't a close game, if the Jays had put up that sixth spot in the fifth or sixth inning, like they might have let Jose Barrios just go, especially considering it was a doubleheader. So maybe a little bit frustrating that the bats couldn't get going against Lance Lynn, a guy who, as you said, struggled a lot this year. But that doesn't take anything away from what Jose Barrios did for this team. Chris Bassett, like we mentioned, he was great as well. Uh, for our third up, Coombsy, there's a we're going to give more than three ups today. We should of that. But I wanted to give a shout out to the bullpen. In game one, you had Romano um, looking great. I mean, he got hit hard off. Uh, he gave up that home run to Verdugo in the Red Sox series. He bounces back in game one of this series against the White Sox, has a really good performance. And then Trevor Richards, like if you would have told me at the beginning of the season, Trevor Richards and Jose Barrios would be two of the most impactful and important arms the Jays have. I wouldn't believe you, especially considering what we saw last year. But Richards coming in in that doubleheader and basically keeping the game tied, allowing it to get to extras, that was unreal as well. Yeah, it really goes to show, I don't want to talk too much about Alec Manoa yet because we're going to talk quite yeah. a bit about this later in the show when we preview the Detroit series. Um, it just goes to show exactly why the Jays don't want to continue doing this bullpen day thing the entire season. I mean, obviously no one wants to do that. That's Captain Obvious stuff, but Richards is a good reliever who can pitch multiple innings. Like, look at this outing here. Between Barrios and Richards, you get nine innings. Richards comes in, only allows the one hit over his two innings, strikes out four guys. I made a joke on the Blue Jays Nation Twitter account. I said, um, Trevor 2016, Andrew Miller Richards. And we've talked about that forever with the, with yeah. the Cleveland front office. We're like, when are they going to find their Andrew Miller? He carved up the Blue Jays so badly in the ALCS in 2016 with those, you know, multi-inning appearances. Everything's in the strike zone. Everyone's swinging and missing. That's what Trevor Richards looks like right now, man. Like it's, if, 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 like, if, if you're going to rank all the relievers right now, 
Um, Eric Swanson had a great start to the season, but they pitched him so much that I, it seems like he's burning out a little bit, which is valid. Uh, Jordan Romano is obviously your number one guy. Tim Mays has been fantastic as well. Like it feels like Richards is right up there as your perhaps second or third most reliable reliever right now. Like, it's 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 shocking. This is a guy who a lot of us were like, maybe he just gets DFA'd after spring training to make room for whoever. They had a bit of a log jam with guys who didn't have options, and he was just looked like kind of a write-off. But, man, he's been one of the MVPs of the team's pitching staff this season. Yep, no doubt about that. Uh, another guy, like, there's a ton of shout-outs to give um, as of late with this Jays team, but another guy I wanted to give some love to is actually Jimmy Garcia. He's now gone seven straight appearances without giving up a run for the Jays. Now, granted, a handful of those were only coming in and getting two outs, um, but, like, we're not just talking earned runs. I'm talking about runs in general. So this is a guy who's coming in a lot of times when there's runners on base, runners in scoring position. And he's getting them out of jam. So Jimmy Garcia is starting to turn around his season. Trevor Richards has been unbelievable. You mentioned Swanson. Tim Meza could very well be an all-star. Nate Pearson continues to show that he's got legit stuff at the major league level. Like As we're creeping along here, and it's July 7th, not to turn away from this White Sox series too quickly, Cam, but the trade deadline conversation around this bullpen, like they could maybe use one more arm because everyone could use an extra arm. But as Garcia heats up, Richards continues to show that his hot start to the year wasn't a fluke. This could be legitimately what he brings the rest of the year. Pearson gets more comfortable. Mesa keeps going. Like maybe they don't need a bullpen arm at the deadline. Yeah, you'd think that maybe they just spend their resources on something else. Like it, it really looks like the big bat in the middle of the lineup, maybe the big right-handed bat. It's so ironic we're talking about a big right-handed bat because they tried so hard to become left-handed over the offseason. But that's something for a little bit later. Yeah, the the bullpen depth is it's it's the best we've seen from this group of Blue Jays by a pretty wide margin. Like look at like Jay Jackson, for example, comes up from Buffalo. That's like your what eighth, ninth reliever on your depth chart. He comes up from Buffalo as the 27th guy for the double header. And he picks up four outs after you say Kikuchi only goes five innings. Like that's a huge bridge for the, after like a, a ho-hum start, like Kikuchi's start wasn't bad. Five innings, four earned runs, but Jackson's the bridge to kind of the back of the bullpen there with Mesa and Pearson. There's, there's, there's just so many guys right now pitching quality innings for the team. And what I think it ultimately comes down to is when you get good starting pitching and you don't have to wear out your bullpen in the fifth, sixth inning every single game. And you only have to use these guys later on. Um, then they're not as burnt out when they come in and they get the job done better. So it all starts with your good starting pitching, and that's what we've seen recently. Yep, that's a bang on point. Jay Jackson's now thrown seven innings for the Toronto Blue Jays this season and only allowed one earned run in that stretch as well. So like when he's been called upon, he's been good. It's nice to look at this team with kind of the glass half full, Jays colored glasses. Uh, good vibes good only. Vibes. Yeah, good vibes only, right? Everyone's doing great, including Whit Merrifield. Two hit Whit became two dinger Whit in game three of this series. He hits a couple out. The Jays never score more than one run in a single inning, even though they hit three bombs in the game. But they never score one run in a single inning. They go on to win the game 5-4. Uh, so they just kind of chipped away at the Chicago White Sox throughout the course of that ball game. Nate Pearson picks up a save as well. Uh, but I wanted to talk to you about Whit Merrifield, a guy who, again, all-star caliber season out of basically nowhere. Yeah. Could you imagine if, if <laughs> imagine last August when we were recording like the, the 2022 trade deadline edition of Blue Jays nation radio and everyone's like, why the fuck did they acquire Whit yeah. Merrifield? What year is it? Like 2016 or not 2016, but um, you know, like he, he, yeah. he, he was a player who was an all-star like early in his career year after year, led the American league in hitting a few times and then kind of fell off a cliff a little bit. But since he's been traded to the Blue Jays, he's really revitalized himself and he's been a significantly better player player than anybody really would have thought. And then he gets the all-star nod this this year, too. Like, imagine telling somebody last August, hey, Whit Merrifield, the guy the Jays acquired, that everyone's like, what? Is now an all-star in 2023. Like, that's something that nobody saw coming. But, I mean, so many guys have come to Toronto and seen their career revitalize offensively. I mean, like, think about all the guys we've seen have random, unexpected, good seasons over the years. You can even go all the way back to guys like Bautista and Encarnacion kind of coming out of nowhere. You have like a a Chris Colabello season in 2015, a guy like that. Just a lot of really random performances from guys you wouldn't necessarily expect. And it seems that does happen in Toronto a lot. It's really a place where players can come and kind of find their groove offensively. 
especially for a player like Whit Merrifield. Like uh, I got my years mixed up, but he came up right after they won the World Series, made his debut in 2016, had some great seasons for the Royals as they were falling off a cliff and they were never competitive while he was there. So like imagine playing there in 2020, 2021, like that's a pretty depressing thing. So coming and getting rejuvenated, playing for the Jays, a competitive team, hitter friendly environment. Yeah, everything really worked out. Yeah, it has. Like you said, if you were to go back and play our conversations from last year's deadline, we were kind of like, uh, why Why did they do this with Merrifield thing? Like, feels a little bit unnecessary. He's been great this year. Um, there's been some wins for Atkins and Shapiro. I do think that this season, they won't be off the hot seat until the team goes out and wins a playoff round or two. Um, but in the meantime, some of their acquisitions are looking pretty nice right now. Uh, so there you go. There's our three ups for the sweep over the Chicago White Sox. And hey, now the Jays get to roll into a series against a team that is right around the White Sox in the standings and a part of that shitty central division, the Detroit Tigers. We'll get set for that. And uh, we're also going to get to some other headlines. But first, we'll step aside for a quick break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Coomsey, before we get to our pal Brandon Douglas in the AL East report, let's get to some other headlines around the team, perhaps none bigger than the fact that Alec Manoa, John Schneider announces the Jays. Uh, righty is going to be back with the big club and making the start tonight against the Detroit Tigers. We were talking on the last pod and you made a good point. You were like, Hey, if any other prospect put up the stat line that Manoa did at double A, we would shrug. We wouldn't even notice it. We wouldn't even know it happened. Manoa does it. Everyone kind of tries to do and myself included the glass half full thing of like, Hey, these were good numbers, better than his start in the complex league, all that stuff. But I even said, I was like, Hey, I'd maybe give him one more in double A bump him up to AAA, and then go from there. I was thinking return late July, like right before the deadlines. You could maybe see what you got in him before you finalized your deadline plans. Um, They moved this timeline up a little bit from at least my perception of it. How surprised were you when you saw that news flash across? Very. I mean, I've I've been pretty open about how I thought the Blue Jays would handle this, and it turns out I'm quite wrong. I really thought that they'd really take a long-term approach to this and kind of think, okay, big picture, our big, our thing here is we've got to make sure this young quality starting pitcher, someone who we've kind of penciled in as being a two or a three long-term, a huge innings logger for the team, like a big part of the team's future. We're going to, you know, keep them down and make sure everything gets right. Cause my worry was, you know, they, they really don't want to keep doing this bullpen day thing. They don't really have a sixth starter or, you know, like some, somebody who can come in and, and fill that role. Like we, we said a minute ago, Trevor Richards yeah. pitching as the opener, as great as he has been, you'd really like to have him in the sixth, seventh inning situations like the double header on Thursday. But I guess maybe the thing for Manoa is a road start against the Detroit Tigers is probably as close to a low pressure environment as the Blue Jays can find. Like it's a bit of a different animal if they were expecting him to come up against the Red Sox and pitch on Canada day in front of a 50,000 person crowd, or they were expecting him to make a start in Yankee stadium against Garrett Cole, like that kind of stuff. You know, if, if everything goes South, then, then that further adds to the mental aspect of what this 
difficult season yeah. has been for Manoa and what those ramifications mean long term. But you're going up against the Tigers. They're not very good. Um, it's not going to be a, a, a lit up ballpark in Detroit on Friday night. Nobody cares. This is, you know, as close to a minor league situation as you can get at the big league level. And I kind of wonder if the, the hope here is just like, get him to build his confidence, remind him that he can get the job done at the major league level if he does. And if it winds up being poor, then you just have another game's worth of information you can take back to the lab in Dunedin and work on something else. I mean, there, you, you'd like to get someone to fill this role. Like it would really, really be fantastic if the Jays could find somebody internally to fill that number five spot, whether it's him or Hyunjin Ryu, who um, he we can talk about him in a minute. It appears that he's coming back from injury significantly faster than anybody could have expected last year. It'd be great if one of those two guys could come back because the Jays, you would then not have to, you know, acquire a starting pitcher at the trade deadline. You can instead use all of your resources to make the lineup better. Maybe get yourself another piece of the bullpen, another guy with closing experience in the playoffs, something like that. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, it feels a little bit soon personally, but I, I I still think there could be a long-term approach here. I don't think they're just going to keep throwing him out there if he struggles, but if he's good, then you just keep going with it, right? If he's bad, yeah. it's just back down, more information, more stuff to work on. I don't know. I, 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 I don't want to make a big thing of it either way. It's just a little bit surprising. Yeah, I, I'm really... And I hope I never find out the answer to my question, but what happens if he gets lit up like like he did again in that last start against Houston? Like, what do you do? I To me, I would have liked to see him come up at a point where the organization maybe says like, hey, we're giving him three starts no matter what. And I know that when you're in a playoff race, we're getting to that point of the season, almost at the deadline where every win has a bit more emphasis on it. Every game matters a little bit more. So you you maybe can't do that, but. And maybe internally they've said this. I would like to see him have a little bit of leash. Like you need to have, to some extent, the courage of your convictions, right? If you're confident that he went down to the complex and he went down to Dunedin and he fixed some issues and he turned a corner and you're ignoring the stats from the complex start and to an extent ignoring the stats from that double A start and just saying, no, we watched him. We believe everything we told him to work on and everything we did with him is going to be effective. Then you need to give him more than one start. Otherwise, what are you saying? You're admitting you rushed him if you send him right back down after one bad start against the Tigers. So that's maybe why it's a little bit confusing for me. And again, to give him a start and then lead into the All-Star break, like I, again, would have maybe left this till after the All-Star break. Because now, what? You're going to give him this one Friday against Detroit. And if he does well, you're going to put him in the... Because you're probably going to rejig your rotation coming out of the All-Star break. You can do that. You have four days off. What is he, your four or your five? You're probably putting him behind Gosman, Bassett, and Brios, right? So you if have, you start him here on the seventh, you're not starting him again until the 18th against the Padres. I, I don't know if that's the best idea to give him 11 days off. Yeah, it's a bit weird. Like, I think, I think if you're putting the rotation together, you'd probably have to split him and Kikuchi's days so they're not back to back because those are your threats yeah. of short outing. So you'd probably want to have it be like Gosman, Manoa, Bassett, and then like, Kikuchi Barrios, maybe something like that. It's not really a set in stone spots. One, two, three, four, five. You want to have your two, and it sucks to say this, but your two weaker starters are your two options that likely don't go as long, maybe coming after or before someone who often gives you length. Those, uh, Gosman Bassett and Barrios, of course, have done a great job doing that. But I don't know. It, it, yeah, I agree. It, it, it does feel fast because, uh, like you said, if they, if he comes up and gets lit up by the Tigers, I don't really know where you go from there. Like it's, it would, it, it feels bad for him to come up and say all these things. He's like, you know, I got this tiger in me. Like I'm going to, you know, I got my competitive edge back. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And then if he goes and, you know, pitches three innings against the Tigers and allows five runs or something like that. And then he goes back down. It's just, you're starting again with, you know, the narratives on the internet are going to be, everyone's going to be shitting on him. Yankees fans are going to be all over it. Oh, Alec Manoa is so bad. He's blah, blah, blah. And it's just going to be, more drama and more crap, more psychological toll. I don't know. It it it, it doesn't seem like the the timing spectacularly necessary. I feel like they could have done another bullpen day here. The Tigers aren't very good. The All Star breaks coming up. Like they they probably have the length for that. And even if like if there was a game to punt, it's probably just game one against the Tigers after you've played the White Sox, right? Like yeah. it's realistic. I don't know. Um, we'll see how it goes. I don't want to make too many definitive statements, but I. 
I had really told myself that I thought this was going to be, you know, a long-term slow moving thing and it moved way faster than I thought, but here we are. Hopefully they're right. Hopefully they saw something in that double A start that none of us are noticing. And he's going to come up and toss a six inning, seven inning gem against the Tigers and everything's back to normal. That's what we're hoping for. Cause this is a good vibes only podcast. There you go. Uh, so if after 10 days, if 10 days after Manoa kind of got lit up in that complex league start, uh, Hunjin Ryu is make, it was in the same position earlier this week and he pitched really well, throws three innings, strikes out five, only gives up the one earned run. He should be back next week, right? He should be back right after the all-star break. Uh, if we're following the same train of thought, but his recovery from Tommy John seems to be going about as well as you could expect from all reports. I'm going to be fascinated if this dude's a hundred percent in, let's say three weeks. So when they go to Seattle at the end of the month, if he's healthy and ready to go, what do you do? Is Ryu in a bullpen arm? Is Manoa a bullpen arm? How do you handle that? Do you go with a six man rotation? Like that seems foolish because then you're spacing out Gosman and these other effective starters way too much. I'm fascinated to see how they'll handle the return of Hunjin Ryu. Yeah, I'm really interested. It's if, if he comes up and he's good and you have six guys and then it gives you a good problem because I guess you just pick probably one of those three guys at the back, whether it's Ryu, Kikuchi or Manoa, whoever is not doing the best, you probably find a role for them in the bullpen. Maybe if Yunjin Ryu comes up and, um, he does well as a starter, then that moves Kikuchi to the pen, but Kikuchi has pitched well. So I don't think we should be sitting here in a position saying they should move Kikuchi to the pen. But that being said, getting another left-handed, left-handed pitcher in there, because right now it's just Tim Meza, yeah. it would be good. I, I, I don't think Ryu's stuff really translate that, translates that nicely to the pen. Uh, we all saw Kikuchi pitch out of the bullpen last year and he was really good. So it's uh, the thought about him going into the bullpen isn't so much of uh, Kikuchi sucks. This is a demotion. It's more like if the Jays have enough starting pitching depth that they can make him that multi-inning left-handed. I, I'm going to reference Andrew Miller again because I have to yeah. over and over and over again. If he can become that, then that's fantastic. That's like a boost. That's that's good. That's you know you you, you maybe consider going out at the trade deadline and adding an arm like that. So if you can do it internally, that's a win. Circling back to um, Ryu's results, he this it's it's only been just slightly over a year since he got that surgery. Mm-hmm. It came last June, and I mean. Given his age, he was 35 years old at the time. It really honestly seemed like he had made his last pitch for the Blue Jays. The fact that we're we wrote him off. We absolutely yeah, wrote we him did. off. Hundred percent. I remember <clears throat> I wrote an article on the website last year, and I was like, "There's a pretty good. There's a very good chance for you throwing his final pitch with the Blue Jays. Like we should remember his time here, the the four year contract, signing that, what it meant for the team, what he did in 2020, how he helped open their contention window. We should remember this positively. This contract was a win, even though he'll never pitch for the Jays again. And I was so sure of it happening. And here we are, 36 years old, one year removed from Tommy John, and he's like. Five strikeouts over three innings in the complex league, only one earned run, four hits, zero walks. The walks is a really good thing. I mean, that's that's legit, man. Like we're actually talking about not just Ryu coming back and making an appearance, but coming back and being good, being effective, which would be spectacular. Like what a way to come full circle for 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 Ryu to pitch well for the Jays down the stretch in the final year of that contract. That would just be that'd be fantastic. I wonder about him maybe as an opener, like him and Yusei Kikuchi are very, very different pitchers. Um, is that something where maybe the play just to get a little bit more length out of those Kikuchi starts is, hey, we're starting Ryu. He gets us once through the order and then Kikuchi comes in, gets us through the order two or three times. And now we're not worried about on those days taxing our bullpen starting in the sixth inning because Kikuchi could only go five. We're now talking about maybe getting six, seven innings out of a combined Ryu Kikuchi start. I wonder if maybe that's a play, especially just because their styles kind of contrast each other as nicely as they do. Yeah, you have, you have, I think, four pitchers here. Mitch White, Alec Manoa, Yusei Kikuchi, and Hyunjin Ryu, who, if all things go well, you can kind of mush them together and put together some pretty strong days. And I think that would allow... I, I don't think rolling with the six-man rotation the rest of the way, only having Kevin Gosman start once a week is what you want. But having all those options allows for you to space things out when things are difficult. You know, you're going to have doubleheaders at some point. You're going to have difficult road trips with, you know, a night game and then an afternoon game just having this depth it's a good problem to have and i mean we're sitting here talking like every single thing's gonna go right uh that's not really how baseball works so i mean you hope as many hope down the stretch you have as many healthy arms pitching as well as they can and it's just a good problem to have 
Uh, you got another thing in here. News this week, the Padres DFA'd Nelson Cruz. Uh, you talked earlier and you kind of alluded to this. Jay's maybe needing a middle-of-the-order right-handed bat. Is this a fit, in your opinion? I don't know. I, I uh, Yeah, actually, yeah, I think it is. I, I, I was going to take a half-and-half half approach, but the Jays left-handed hitters, and this is funny because they – you know, the, the whole talk during wintertime was we got to become less right-handed and more left-handed to have a more diverse lineup. And they did that. There's, you know, Brandon Belt's there. He's He's been playing well. Dalton Barshow hasn't really found his groove offensively, but he's been great defensively. Kevin Kiermeyer came flying out of the gates, kind of slowed down a little bit. But Thomas Hall, one of our writers, pointed out that all of Toronto's lefty hitters, so that's Belt, Kiermeyer, Varshow, Kevin Biggio, Nathan Lukes, and Spencer Horowitz, who was up for a couple of days. And this tweet's from a few days ago, so the numbers are going to be a bit different. But those those players totaled 148 plate appearances against left-handed pitchers. And collectively, they haven't hit a single home run. And they have a weighted runs created plus of 62 and 100 is average. So that's really bad. Jays need to find a big right handed bat to platoon with Varsho slash uh, belt in the DH spot because those guys just don't hit lefties well at all. So they got to find a big right handed bat somewhere. Nelson Cruz is 43. He hasn't been very good with the Padres, but he's just in the waiver wire. It's someone you can grab, see if it works. You know, getting a, a good veteran player who can take good at bats add that into your locker room. I think that's a positive thing. It's, it's a very different situation, but it kind of, it would kind of remind me in 2016 of when they picked up Jason Grilly and just like added an old guy to their team and just found lightning in a bottle. Like the Padres are having a mess of a season right now. And I, we talked about this with Whit Merrifield, you come on to a new team and you really find your groove. A lot of guys have done that with the Jays in the past. I really do believe that if the Jays just nabbed Nelson Cruz and chucked him into their lineup to face lefties, he could be quite effective. And if he isn't, you just let go and trade for somebody else before the deadline. Like you might as well try because there aren't really many names down in Buffalo who you're going to call up for a big right-handed bat. Like Addison Barger hasn't really come through this season. Like we had all hoped uh, the next name would be what, like Jordan Luplo. There, there really isn't anybody there. So I I'd say take a risk on Nelson Cruz. Um, I don't see why not bring a, bring a veteran into the mix. See if he can catch lightning in a bottle. We've seen it before. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. I think it's worth the risk. A little light trade deadline talk for you here. Like I was trying to look up while you were talking there, maybe some right-handed bats who are potentially available. One of them we just saw was Tim Anderson, but I don't think he brings enough power to really bring what the Jays want. I know they were talking on the broadcast about how he switched over to second base for a bit for the first time in his career. And maybe that's an area the Jays would be looking to upgrade on, right? You move wit to the outfield and it just gives you an extra body. I don't know if that's exactly a fit for them. Uh, one name that I'm reading here that could potentially be available is Brent Rooker out in Oakland and he's got 14 home runs on the season he's an outfielder so do you want to add another outfielder to the mix make wit your full-time second baseman he's only 28 years old as well so maybe a piece you bring in and to keep around for a while but 14 home runs and 250 ABs like decent there is there anyone out there that you've heard like a rumbling about outside of Cruz I guess that you kind of go like hey that'd be an interesting name to keep an eye on not really. It feels like trade talks have been really quiet this year. It's the Jays. They're in a weird spot because we talked about the starting pitching and everything being great, but it's completely possible that both you and Manoa come up and they're both pumpkins and they can't get the job done. And the Jays have to trade for a starter at the deadline. If that's the situation, then yeah, that definitely does have to be the priority. They have to add a fifth starter and that might get in the way of them adding a big bat. So that's why I advocate for the cruise thing. Just grab somebody for for free. Uh, it, it sucks that he can't really play a position. It's not really ideal to have a DH only guy when Brandon Belt's also a DH only guy. But I mean, look at their roster. Like how often does the 26th guy ever get into a game like a, a Nathan Lukes or an, er, or an Ernie Clement? Like they're so sparingly used that I feel like it's really worthwhile to just take a gamble on somebody with a big bat and see what happens. Yeah, why not? Especially if it's free, right? If it's all, if all it's going to cost you is salary and money and you're a team like the Jays, why wouldn't you take a stab at that? Another thing that's probably slowing down the trade market, and we've talked about this a little bit, like if you use five games back of a wildcard spot as kind of the cutoff for being out of it in July, you look right now, there are only four teams then that would be sellers in the American League. It's Oakland, Kansas City, Chicago, and Detroit. And then even if you were to go out to the NL, like... There's a handful of teams in this mushy middle spot, like the Pirates are seven and a half back. The Cubs have worked their way back to just seven games back, although they're struggling as of late. San Diego, six and a half. The Mets are six and a half. 
then it's the Cardinals, Nats, and Rockies. So like you could make the case that as of right now, there are only seven teams in the majors that are like committed to selling and we're only three, four weeks away from the deadline. Oh, there's you one know. name that one name that just popped up since you mentioned Colorado. How about a uh, re, a reunion with Randall Gridchuk? Ah. Right, right-handed outfielder, perfect platoon for Dalton Varsho. <laughs> kind of been there, done that. I think. Right. Um, just looking at the standings, and we'll get to Brandon in a second here. How about the San Diego Padres being six and a half games back of a playoff spot? The super team Coombsy, they signed Bogarts. They were supposed to be this feared lock to make the World Series, and they've been bad. Them and the Mets, man. Like those, we, we, it, I think this is a good thing for any Jays fan who's looking at this season and is not happy with the way it's gone. We came into this year thinking the Jays are going to be the team that's going to come out guns a blazing and they're going to bomb their way to the American League East title and they're going to, you know, everything's going to go well because it's their year. It's time. And people are pissed off because, you know, they're in, they're tied for third place in the division. They're just clinging on to the last wild card spot. I think they just caught the Yankees after the doubleheader win. So, I mean, it's, it's not necessarily necessarily what everybody would have wanted when we were hyped up about the season back in March. But at the end of the day, the Jays are 48 and 40 here going into a three game series with Detroit right before the all-star break. And you look at two other teams, the Mets and the Padres and what, what, what those fans have gone through this year because of the expectations of those teams, the big signings they made, the salaries and those teams just both falling flat. Like take a look at those situations and it will make you appreciate the blue Jays a little bit more. It's like, (laughs) look at how bad things actually could be. And our situations it's not as terrible as as it seems sometimes, though I, I will say this team is very frustrating to watch, even when things are going well, it never really feels like they are. <laughs> uh, just another quick note on those two teams as I'm glancing at the standings, like the Mets and Padres, both five games under 500. That is despite the fact the Mets just rattled off their fifth straight victory and the Padres <laughs> swept the Angels. So like... A week ago, it was way worse, and Ooh. we're still sitting here chuckling about it. We should talk about the Angels. Actually, they had they ran into like a terrible mix of luck there. Mike Trout has the like uh, I, I I won't call it a broken hand, but he's broken a bone up towards the wrist, which is a really weird, rare injury. He's out for a few weeks, maybe four, maybe six. Uh, Shohei Otani had a thing going on where he was. Um, I think think he was nicked up while he was pitching, and he said he won't pitch in the All-Star game out of some concern that there might be something going on. Um, I might be misspeaking there, but yeah, like uh, the Angels look like they're in free fall right now, which is really unfortunate for them. I mean, they are a playoff rival of the Blue Jays, so I probably shouldn't be feeling this way, but I really would have liked to see the Angels in the mix down the stretch. I want to see those two players playing competitive games like it's... I really don't feel like even if they are bad and out of the mix in a month that Otani is getting traded, I really don't see it because I feel like they're just going to take the time they can to try and re-sign him because what can you get back that's worth it or anywhere close to as good as that player is for, you know, not only winning games, but marketing and everything, selling jerseys, making cash. Um, I don't really see the trade coming, but yeah, it would be, it would be, it'd be kind of disappointing for them if they just fizzled out and those guys weren't playing competitive games down the stretch. But from a Blue Jays perspective, it's, Unfortunately, yeah, it is what you want to see. You do want to see your other wild card rivals kind of struggle and fall off a cliff a little bit. Yeah, I, uh, I have a cousin, big baseball guy, and he booked a trip to Toronto to watch that Angels Jays series. And he was like, man, I'm going to get to watch Trout and Otani. And then within 48 hours, he was like, oh, my God, I might have wasted all of my money. I may not get to see either of them, uh, which uh, terrible luck, terrible luck for the Angels as well. Lost three in a row now, three and seven in their last 10. The Jays, though, six and four in their last 10, coming off a sweep of the White Sox. But who have they gained ground on? Let's find out. Bringing in Brandon Douglas with another edition of the AL East Report. Brando, big weekend or big week for the Toronto Blue Jays. Did they get help on the out-of-town scoreboard? They did get a little bit of help, guys. And um, some of the help might actually come in what you were talking about, Tyler, how Yankees fans love to rip on the Alec Manoa situation because Luis Severino, I think, has now surpassed him as the biggest disaster of a starter pitcher a starting pitcher, pardon me, in the major leagues this year. Uh, the Yankees, they squared up with the Orioles for a four-game set this week. First half looked like it was all Yankees. They took games one and two. Orioles bounced back really well in games three and four, um, getting the split in that series. But in that fourth game, Luis Severino, two and two-thirds innings pitched, giving up seven earned runs. If you look at his season as a whole now, he has gone 42 and two-thirds innings, over nine starts with a 7.38 ERA and a one and four record, which if you do some rain man math there, it's uh, less than five 
innings per start. Um, all of a sudden, it makes us Blue Jays fans feel even more warm and cuddly about our starting pitching rotation and how effective it has been, even with the Manoa situation. But uh, besides that in the series, um, Anthony Volpe kind of finding his stride a little bit on the hitting side of things. Uh, he only went three for 15, but it included four runs scored, a couple home runs, a couple RBIs to go along with it. Uh, however, right fielder Jake Bowers likely going for a stint on the IL with a bruised rotator cuff. He's uh, only been hitting 224 and 49, 49 games played so far this year for the Yankees, but we, we've seen how uh, ineffective their offense has been without Aaron Judge. So that's just another kind of another knock um, to take yeah. them down a peg. And heading into the All-Star break, the Yankees will face the Cubs for three games in New York. And you mentioned the Cubs been on the skids a little bit lately too. The Orioles, however... Gunnar Henderson continuing his amazing season so far. He has been lights out in that same game four. He went four for seven, five RBIs, two home runs. That's the type of stat line you'd expect to see over the course of an entire series, not just one single game. So the Orioles, they're not really, you know what? We we talked about them kind of maybe taking a step back over the past couple of weeks. This looks like it hopefully will get them right back on track. Uh, Austin Hayes, we talked about him last show. He missed all four games in the series, still a little bit up in the air about um, what it's going to look like for him moving forward, if he will land on the injured list or not. And uh, someone who's been a bit of a revelation for the Orioles, Aaron Hicks, uh, a castaway from the Yankees. He's played really well uh, for the O's. He uh, He's going to miss a little bit of time here with some Achilles soreness. Next up for the Orioles is three games in Minnesota. They played the Twins just last weekend where they took two of those three games over the uh, the division-leading Twins. Red Sox, they took two of three versus the Texas Rangers. Both Justin Turner and Jaron Duran kind of continued the hot streak. They had started off when they were playing the Jays. Um, they had a really good series. Some more good news for the Red Sox on the injury front too. Tanner Houck, um, he is expected to start throwing on Tuesday. If uh, we call back to late June, he ate that line drive um, and got some facial reconstruction surgery on June 27th. I believe I had the date marked down as so looking positive for him to be on his way back now and relief pitcher John Schreiber. Um, he's beginning his rehab assignment right now as well. Uh, next up for the Red Sox, they will be at home versus the lowly Oakland Athletics for three games heading into the All-Star break. And I'm going to finish us off with the division-leading Tampa Rays, who got swept by the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, they've now lost five straight. They have yet to win in the month of July. Uh, it's it's hard to poke holes in the Rays because they still have a four-game lead in the division. But, I mean, they're they're going to be in tough here over the weekend. They got three games at home versus the Braves. But between the injury troubles they faced all season long and the Braves being the hottest team in baseball, they're nine and one in their last 10. And if I um, did my math correctly, 25 and five since June 1st, that is not pretty admirable record. Like in, in well over a month now, you only have five L's on the column. So I'm just going to throw up our American League East standings here and we kind of take a look. I am actually, this is something I've been kind of mentioning and inching towards i genuinely believe now that the baltimore orioles have a very realistic chance at winning this division before the year is out uh, between their youthful exuberance their power in the bats um and the and the rays kind of struggles and injury um the injury issues they face so far this year like i don't think it's too outlandish to say but we we see the yankees and the jays being tied there in that final wild card spot and yes cam i know we love to get this in every episode the red Sox would still be tied for first place in the american league central uh despite being fifth in the division <laughs> so uh and you look at boston the yankees and toronto being eight 11 games back they're four games back of baltimore for the first wild card spot um and second in the division and, and tampa still with a comfortable lead at the top but it seems to be shrinking every single week if not every uh, every series that we roll past and if i switch us over quickly just to take a look at the entire wild card race in general um outside of houston who's kind of uh, been heating up a little bit I, i'd mentioned this last episode as well like nobody is really grabbing the the life by the reins here or life by the horns and and kind of taking advantage of these other team struggles the jays have a really good chance to do that between sweeping the white Sox and now coming up against a rough tigers team Everybody will hopefully use the chance of the all-star break to get healthy. And then we'll be uh, teed up for a great second half and what should be an exciting playoff race right to the finish line. You mentioned the Orioles and guys who they've picked up off kind of the scrap pile. How about Ryan O'Hearn cast away by the Kansas city Royals of all teams comes in with Mount Castle's health kind of go- coming and going. 
130 ABs. He's batting 308. Like the Orioles just, they got like weird team of destiny vibes this year and they're calling up more top prospects. Like it's insane. Yeah. The, and with, um, with some of the injuries troubles they had, like bouncing guys around in the lineup, um, the Jordan West, Oh God, I can't remember his name, but he's, he made his debut last week and now he's going to be back in a little bit more playing time here who had been their top prospect and, and ripping up AAA. So just like you said, Tyler, they, it seems like it's an endless pipeline for them, which I mean, Hey, that's kind of the plan. Trust the process, right? You, you stockpile them and, and now it's all coming to fruition for the Orioles. Trash uh, birds, no more. Trash birds, no more. Uh, prediction, Brandon, does the Manoa start tonight go well? Uh, if you were to take a look at my uh, online sports gambling book, I would say yes, because I have invested in it. Um, not, necessarily, not necessarily Manoa particularly playing well, but I believe that the Jays, like I genuinely think Manoa is a really liked guy in that clubhouse and, and a, a genuine friend to a lot of these guys that are on the field every day. So if he kind of struggles a little bit, I think the team will maybe rally around this a little bit and whether it be with the bats or the sharp defense that we've seen for the most part all season, I I'm feeling positive. And just like you said, the, the Tigers suck. Like this, yeah. this is the perfect spot. If you're going to do it, I agree it was rushed, but this seems like the right spot. All right. There you go. Thanks, Brandon. You back guys. Hey, at least report with Brandon Douglas. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about what's coming up. Coombsy three against the Tigers leading into the all-star break. Manoa going tonight. Here are my reasons to be optimistic about the Alec Manoa start. The Detroit Tigers have not been hitting very well as of late in the last 15 days. They rank 28th or sorry, 26th in the majors in batting average and on the season against righties. Coombsy 28th in OPS against right-handed pitching. They have been bad with the bats as of late. They have been bad against right-handed pitching all season. Those are my reasons to be optimistic as Manoa goes up against Alex Fado, I believe is how you say that. I don't know. He's made like five appearances this year. The Jays should hit this guy. Yeah, they really should. This is, we came into the White Sox series saying, this is one you should sweep. The, 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 the central teams aren't good. Even the good ones, Minnesota and Cleveland are the better ones. The bottom three ones, Kansas City, the White Sox, Detroit. None of them are good teams. The Jays have a great chance right now. They're 48 and 40. There's three games left before the all-star break. They could go in here 51 and 40. That'd be fantastic. Like, I think if you had told somebody in during spring training, if that was their record at the all-star break, nobody has any qualms. The reason it might not seem particularly exciting is because of the seasons that, you know, Tampa and Baltimore are having, and even New York, like despite the Aaron judge injury, they remain above water. So, I mean, yeah, it's those things that, that make this season seem like less, but the Jays, the the schedule was really hard at the beginning. It's going to cool down a little bit uh, in the second half here. We're seeing this right now with the two central division teams right before the all-star break. The Tigers are weird, man. Like (laughs) it feels like they've been kind of tanking and rebuilding for a while. Like we talk about Baltimore, trust the process. You know, they had those seasons where they win like 50 games. So you can get a guy like Adley Rutschman or uh, a Jackson holiday guys like that. And they're loaded up with all of these prospects. Detroit hasn't been in the playoffs since 2014 when, when their starting rotation was like Verlander, Scherzer, David Price and they had all those aces and since then they've just been like kind of tanking out rebuilding like some seasons here in 2017-18 with 64 wins um, 47 wins in 2019 they picked first overall but Spencer Torkelson hasn't really found his groove yet they're just one of those teams that just just seems to be stuck like it's the, they, they've, they've drafted high for so long, but their, their prospect pool isn't fantastic. Their team isn't fantastic. It's weird to see. And I mean, it's another thing where you look at a team like this, this team last made the playoffs before those 2015, 16 teams for the Jays and they haven't been able to turn it around. Like I, I, I brought up teams, um, like the Mets and the Padres struggling, but look at a team like Detroit, even a team like the White Sox too. Like they were, they were supposed to be one of those big teams that broke out. Like they spent money in free agency. Um, Kendall Graveman, Liam Hendricks, Yasmani Grandal. Like they were supposed to be one of those good teams and it doesn't work. So it does. It's, it's not always a guarantee your rebuilds are going to work out. So even if the Jays aren't exactly the team we wanted them to be, it could be a lot worse. Yeah. I'm just looking at the Detroit Tigers have picked in the top five in four of the last five drafts, Casey Mize first overall, Riley Green fifth, Torkelson first overall. Like you said, Jackson Job went third overall in 2021. And are they picking high again? I think they are in the top five again this year, Should right? Be. Yeah, because they were sixty-six and yeah, ninety-six last year. Yeah, Jays are going to pick twentieth in uh, the MLB draft for those who are curious. But yeah, that Tigers rebuild has taken just 
absolutely forever. And it doesn't seem to be one of those or like, you know, like last year you watched the Orioles and you were like, Oh shit. Like they're getting close. They're, they're inching towards where they want to be. You don't get that sense at all with the Detroit Tigers. And there's really no reason why they shouldn't be in a similar spot. When you look at the rebuild timelines, they should be in a similar spot as a team like the Baltimore Orioles. Um, Jays will hope to continue the Tigers miserable season here. Uh, Gosman goes game two. Bassett goes game three as well. So I like the Jays chances of at least taking two of three Coombsy. And just like Brandon, I'm also going to put my money where my mouth is. My favorite bet tonight. Alec Manoa to record the first strikeout of the game, which is tough when you're the road team, because obviously your team's going to hit first. You'll have the first chance to have one of your guys strike out, but it's plus 310 over on Batano. So I'm going with Alec Manoa to get the first strikeout of the game, chasing a little juice. And I, I like to view it as like throwing some support behind Manoa. Like, hey, man, you got this. I'm going to put $10 of my own money on the line. <laughs> Yeah, I like I liked what Brandon said too. I think I, I do agree with the sentiment that Alec Manoa is a, a well liked teammate. I think he's one of the the heartbeats of that dressing room. I feel like he brings a lot of energy. We'd uh, you know Marcus Stroman was once that guy. Here he brings that raw raw. Alec Manoa brings that raw raw. And I think maybe that's something we didn't consider when we were talking about when they should bring him up. I said many times maybe he's down the whole year, so he's right for next year. Well, maybe having him up, even if he isn't a fantastic number one or number two starter, he's just a number five. Maybe just having him up with his presence is a positive thing for the team. Who knows? We're, we're doing good vibes only. So uh, my prediction is going to be Alec Manoa comes up on Friday, tosses a gem. It gets everybody all fired up and they sweep the Tigers heading into the all-star break. And it is good vibes only all week. Good vibes week. Said on said on the last episode of the pod, the Jays had an opportunity to rattle off a nice winning streak and have good vibes heading into the all-star break. They've gotten half the job done so far. Three against the Tigers coming up this week to wrap things up. Uh, Alec Manoa, that'll be the big story here uh, tonight. If you're curious about uh, more Jay stuff, go follow our friends at Blue Jays today. I think they might be doing some watch along stuff and they'll have a ton of reaction to the Manoa thing. So follow them on YouTube. And then while you're there, follow Blue Jays Nation on YouTube as well. We post our full episode there and we got a ton of video content coming up from our boy Brett Holden and Brent Douglas as well. So subscribe to us on YouTube, review the podcast wherever you listen to it from and enjoy three against the Tigers. Coombsy. Best wishes. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm.